you've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Urban Shooter Podcast Show. This episode, 207, Mardi Gras and Mothers. Barbara Baird gives us some history about a browning. Loves me like a rock. News, 500 free books. New range coming to the East Coast. And we hear from John Benner, former law enforcement and inventor of a self-defense knife by K-Bar out of TDI, Ohio. All this gluten-free coming up next. Crossbreedholsters.com presents the Urban Shooter Podcast. This is the program variety show that features inspiration, observations, and conversations about life, the shooting sports, and more. And here he is, now helping you survive another week, your friend and brother from a different mother, the black man with a gun, the pastor of patriots, paladins, and pistoleros, Ken Blanchard. And I'm Black. Welcome to the Urban Shooter Podcast, where you don't have to be urban at all to enjoy a good time. This episode is dedicated to mothers and Mardi Gras, but not in that order. Mothers because they deserve more recognition than one day a year. I want you to go and find your mom. Go ever call. Let's do a drive-by. Call her up, say, hey, mom, I love you. Click She'll smile, she'll call you back, wonder what the heck's wrong with her kid. But to the mother that bore us, the mother of our children, and to those we love, we gotta say thank you more than once a year. And it's Mardi Gras time. Carnival in Brazil. Ah, those days. I lived there for two years. And it messed me up for the rest of my life. Yes, it did. It's a wonder I even make it into heaven from stuff I've done. Mardi Gras, given to us by the French, meant to ridicule the nobles, clergy, and intelligentsia. It's the time before the Lenten season, the big fast. Fat Tuesday in French is Mardi Gras, brought in America by the French in 1699. And before that, it had Roman origins. It was a festival partly in honor of Lupa, the she-wolf who suckled the infant orphans, Romulus and Remus. Mm-hmm. The founders of Rome. Ain't that some stuff? Shout out continues to Alex Haddix of the Personal Defense Podcast. You know, Alex is like a martial artist and an instructor, and his studio is in Woodland Hills Martial Arts Center in Ventura Boulevard in Woodland Hills, California. Now, if you want to know where that's at, that's kind of like near Highway 101 near Burbank Boulevard in Oxnard in the San Fernando Valley part of California. He had told you all this if he was on the show, but I want to give a shout out to the guy. He's trying to get folks into his studio. So if you're in California and you're looking for a Kempo discipline for martial arts, check out my friend and brother, Alex Haddix. How about them apples? You go, man. And if you want to check out me, you'll find me on KenNBlanchard.com. That's what the show notes will be. And you can call me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Leave a message. Tell me what the heck's going on in your world at 888-675-0202. Or you can email me, blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Got it? Good. 
Let's move on and let John Wayne lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. I had a really good week this week asking questions and talking to my friends and family on Facebook. If you aren't on Facebook, check me out at Ken N. Blanchard on Facebook. That's the name. You'll find me there or Pastor Ken Blanchard. Look that up and it should pop up up there. If not on Facebook, no big deal. I'm on Twitter. Same thing. Ken Blanchard. And you'll find all the links and everything that I'm doing because I've been cranking out some stuff this year. Uh, I'm just just a snowball is rolling. And uh, it's all on KenBlanchard.com. There's product reviews. There's news. There's uh, I'm even looking for some people to go fishing with me this summer. Uh, if you're interested in that, check out that. Do a little searching on the site for that. Next up is a mother I really like. A sister. A friend. A warrior. She's going to talk about what the buck Hey, Urban Shooter, this is Barbara Baird, Women's Outdoor News. Is your buckmark pointed in the right direction? Let's take a little trip down memory lane. In this case, the deer trail to the story of the buckmark, an American icon, often seen on hunters' vehicles, gear, and sometimes on their skin. Yes, the buckmark seems to be grabbing hold and coloring skin cells across this great nation. Talk about a perfect example of excellence in branding. I give you... The Browning Buckmark. No, actually, Browning gave that to us about 33 years ago in 1978. Designed by Browning art director Don Bailey, the Buckmark debuted as part of the Browning Centennial Celebration. And since then, it has appeared on plenty of Browning's products, but also on flesh of its customers. The story goes that Browning wanted to diversify and protect itself from a waning gun industry back in the 1970s. Looking to expand its clothing line, salesmen in the company pointed to Izod and its successful branding of the alligator. In 1977, the company execs gave the go-ahead to Browning's marketing department to find a logo. Bailey chose an abstract mule deer, and according to the history of the buckmark in the Browning Library, Bailey said it it represented a huge moss-back buck walking away from the hunter, and then, as they often do, taking one last look over his shoulder. At first, some in the company did not warm to the logo. Others liked it and defended it for its appeal not only to hunters, but also to fishers and campers, as these outdoorsmen also enjoy seeing wildlife like bucks. Also, the mule deer symbolizes the West, and Browning has its origins in the West. After it was accepted, Another employee at Browning told Bailey that he appreciated seeing the image of a doe within a buckmark. Now, I'm still looking for that. Is it like those dot pictures and only some people can see it? Or is it just the buck without antlers? Whatever it is, a buck or a buck and a doe, it works, as millions of people show others their buckmarks every day. Note, the buck should be facing to the left as you look at it. Many tattoo artists miss this fact, and as a consequence, you'll see tattoos with buckmarks facing to the right. In fact, you may enter a Show Us Your Buckmark contest 
at www.browning.com slash buckmark. But for heaven's sake, point your buckmark in the right direction. This is Barbara Baird, Women's Outdoor News, for news, reviews, and stories about women in the outdoors. See www.womensoutdoornews.com. Thanks, Ken. You're most welcome, sis. You know, I had to go put up a picture of the Buckmark logo on episode 207 on the show notes just so I could find or see if I could see that little doe. And I did. Ah, knowledge is power. And I was just a boy. And I was just a boy. And the devil would call my name. And I was just a boy. And I said, who do I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, 
to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. Don't forget, crossbreedholsters.com. Is the cost of ammo bringing you down? Are you ready to have fun with your firearm again? If you need ammo, your friend and brother from a different mother has the answer. LuckyGunner.com. Good prices. LuckyGunner.com. If your time is valuable, LuckyGunner.com. Order your ammo today. LuckyGunner.com. Where you won't waste your time and the shipping is fast. It's 110% guaranteed. LuckyGunner.com. You're listening to the Urban Shooter Podcast from KenBlanchard.com. If you want to call Ken, you can leave a message toll-free in the U.S. at 888-675-0202 or contact him at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. And now, our featured presentation. Our featured segment this week is through some association. Now, I stumbled on this guy because I was looking at a knife called the TDI K-Bar knife. I had no idea he was the owner of the Tactical Defense Institute in Ohio. And in normal Ken Blanchard style, similar to that of Forrest Gump, without a clue, I found out I got a new friend. Now, John Benner is the founder of the Tactical Defense Institute. And uh, for more details, there is a link and a page talking about this cool new knife, the TDI K-Bar knife. Here interview where everything was going wrong on my end. I had earmuffs falling off my big head. I had the microphone. I couldn't hear myself. I mean, it was a mess. But luckily, uh, John stayed with me. And uh, the Urban Shooters have a new pal. Here's the interview with John Benner, founder of Tactical Defense Institute. Mr. Benner, welcome to the Urban Shooter Podcast. A pleasure being invited on. Man, you created something really cool. Can you tell me about the uh, TDI knife? Yeah, I can. It, uh, K-Bar initially asked me the question of what type of a fixed blade knife can law enforcement use. And I thought about it for a long time and uh, came up with the uh, small curved handled uh, knife that you uh, that you see and uh, the uh, uh, TDI law enforcement knife from, from K-Bar. It's uh, got about a two and a quarter inch blade and curved for a number of different reasons. Uh, one for comfort uh, and you can wear it somewhere forward of your hips uh, for a law enforcement officer designed a good behind like the magazine pouch or something like that so that they can have very quick access to it in case they need to uh, uh, you know, protect your firearm, uh, you know, do their empty-hand techniques. If that's not working, uh, then they can go to, go to the knife. It uh, draws like a pistol. It, uh, it punches uh, real easy. It actually winds up with the bones in your, in your arm uh, and gives you a maximum striking power. Nice. How did you come upon that design? Uh, just by looking at what uh, 
number one, law enforcement could accept. It, uh, you know, it couldn't be anything too big. And then I looked at all the straight knives and, and different things, uh, and, and it's like every time you sit down, it's going to poke you someplace. And, uh, and policemen sit in cars and, and do other things all the time, and, and consequently it had to be comfortable. It had to be acceptable uh, by uh, the, the kind of the public and, and also by the administrators. And, uh, and then the other side of that was that uh, we have so much stuff on our belts now that, that we carry, you know, some of the smaller statured officers have stuff packed from one end to the other on their belt, and they can't take any more stuff on there. So consequently, this goes on the inner belt uh, behind something on the uh, on the outside belt. Uh, for our civilian uh, populace that uh, that purchased the knife, which is which is a considerable amount, it um, it actually uh, can sit right on the belt, serves uh, the same function, and uh, it works real well. Uh, the, the ladies uh, really like it because it's small; it fits their hand well. And it's real easy to use. Cool, man. You got some background in law enforcement, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, I've been a policeman since 1971. I uh, commanded Hemel County, uh, Ohio's uh, uh, special weapons and tactics team for 20 years and participated with it for 25. I was a uh, dog handler for about six years. I in an undercover drug task force for five years, so I've got a little bit of experience anyway. I heard that, man. K-Bar. So you're working with K-Bar. What else have you designed since then? Well, we've, we have uh, a number of, uh, of different knives on the market. Uh, we, we, you know, the second knife that we did was, was a large version of the knife, it, um, and it's more for tactical teams and military. Okay. Or for that person's big enough to carry that, you know, on his, on his waist. I mean, I had some officers that are really big guys that, that use the, the larger knives. And then we did an ankle knife. Uh, it's the only knife on the market that actually has a, you know, we've been doing that for years with, um, uh, with pistols, uh, mm -hmm. putting, uh, you know, guns on our ankles and, and having ankle holsters, but nobody ever done that with a knife, and so that's we wound up doing that. And then we have a uh, little knife we call the last ditch knife. It's a, it's a, a, one of my instructors that works with me here at TDI. Actually, was uh, it was his idea, and and he helped with the design, and I did did a part of it as well. And then we've done some done a fanny pack that. Uh, uh, for concealed carry, uh, it's a real uh, interesting and different uh, type design. It, uh, and then we've also done a, uh, a vest now, uh, a concealed carry vest. It's, it's actually very nice. It's, it's real classy looking. It, it has two um, very large uh, hand warmer pockets in the front with, uh, with snaps on them uh, to... Uh, actually, and they're actually holsters, and they uh, will take a uh, take a firearm and, and uh, a small uh, auto pistol or uh, or a uh, say like a J frame revolver, and uh, and they can have that in there, and, and it's, and it's 
made heavy enough, the material in the pockets are doubled and, and, and made a little bit heavier and so that it won't print on the outside. You mentioned TDI a couple of times. Yes. What, what's TDI? TDI, that's the, uh, the Tactical Defense Institute. It's, uh, we're a shooting and tactics school in uh, South Central Ohio. It, uh, we've got a 186-acre training complex with uh, three by-far houses, uh, two-story force-on-force house with movable walls and multiple stairwells, and about eight different ranges. And we do all types of everything from handgun, shotgun, tactical rifle, precision rifle, physical self-defense knife, impact weapons, and pretty much cover the gamut of, uh, of things. I was taking a peek at the website, and it uh, looks like almost every all your classes this year are already uh, full. Well, we're pretty full into uh, into August. Uh, the fall is uh, is still open, uh, pretty okay. well. But you know, we're yeah, we are we're we're busy. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I know that's a real good thing. Is is TDI your thing, or are you just an instructor there? No, it, it's my business. And, ah, uh, you know, I'm the owner. You know, I didn't know that. Well, like, it, I just kind of uh, snuck up on me. I was like, I wonder if he owns this or not. So I didn't know how to actually ask you. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, that's all right. I, I would take no offense at anything. It, uh, uh, you know, I don't you know run around, you know, talking about it all the time. It, uh, you know, we're uh, kind of a laid back uh, organization. We like to have a lot of fun. We uh, you know, we and we've been very fortunate to be able to travel different places in the in the world and, and do training and, and uh, travel all over the United States. We do all the active shooter, uh, active killer training for the uh, National Association of School Resource Officers, and we travel all over the country doing that. And we do knife classes all over as well. I do you know quite a bit of that stuff, and and we. Uh, you know, try to. We have an interesting staff. Uh, we have folks uh, working with us from all walks of life uh, because the majority of our business is civilian. But I had some major issues with this recording, so forgive the movement of the headphone and the microphone and all that. I'm going to continue on with the conversation. Ohio, yes, TDI, and it has. All the high-speed, low-drag stuff out there, the shoot house, the um, different types of weapons instruction. Yeah, we uh, we have uh, we do a lot of uh, force-on-force training uh, mm-hmm. with uh, with airsoft. Uh, I've got a house, a two-story house that I built that has movable walls and different stairwells. Just to, one to teach stairwells in, and two to uh, uh, to do uh, force-on-force scenarios. Wow, it, uh, so it, it's really uh, uh, really neat place, and and like I say, we have we have a lot of fun. We've got all of our instructors are really good guys, and and you know they treat people really well. Nobody uh, yells at anybody, or this isn't a boot camp. You know, this is a right. place that you come get good training, uh, have a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, a place where you can bring your wife and your family and not have, you know, people yelling and cussing and carrying on and, you know, stuff like that. So, oh, good deal. What's your website? It's www.tdiohio.com. 
com. I'm going to make sure I put a link to that on the Urban Shooter Podcast show notes for this week. John, thank you so much for being a guest, and I look forward to, man, talking to you soon. Well, Ken, thank you very much, and uh, I, anytime you want to talk, I'll be glad to do so. Thank you, bro. Okay. Have a great week, man. All right, you do the same. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hey, this week in the news, there's a new range coming to the East Coast. That's right, PeacemakerNational.com. It's out in Glengarry, West Virginia. And it must be pretty special because uh, they got a 1,000-yard distance rifle range, a tactical rifle pistol shotgun area, shotgun range, archery range, general sighting in range, and some training schools coming soon. Opening 2011 this summer, and they got volunteer positions open for the Peacemaker National Training Center. That's what they're calling it. And you can find that site and information at peacemakernational.com. My buddy Denny has a new product along with his other products of hearing protection for the outdoorsman. This one looks like a hearing aid and does a whole bunch of stuff. Check it out. I made a big post of it on kenblanchard.com and that's Ken with two N's, Blanchard.com. Also, you'll see that I went nuts and decided to give out 500 copies for free of Black Man with a Gun. That's right. I'm not going to tell you how to get it or how to get it free, but if you go on the site, you can find out information there. I don't want to get everybody just bum-rush the site, but if you want to evangelize, take a few to the library, give a few to your anti-gun friends, you can get a really good deal. I don't want to give them out to big organizations now, just in small groups, you know, like ones, twos, threes, fours, maybe fives. Um, I'm going to send them to you slow mail, media mail, and take advantage of it, trying to get this thing out here. But check out the details at KenBlanchard.com. All right, I got one more thing on news. There's a link on the show notes for this show. Um, to support my friends that are involved in the Avon Walk for Breast Cancer. If you can, will you please throw a couple of bucks for the cause like I have? Breast cancer is evil. You know, there's something about cleavage. It's a magical word. Makes me smile just when I think about it. Cleavage. What is it all about? Maybe because I wasn't breastfed as a child. I don't know. My mama says she only liked me as a friend. Guys, you know how much a bra cost? Go into Victoria's Secrets and price one. Oh, you feel pretty awkward, wouldn't you? That's where you're going to find the biggest photo of cleavage in the whole state. I mean, it's huge. But I know you didn't look. I know. Good on you. Cleavage. I'm smiling just thinking about it. And I bet it's a terrible thing for a woman to find out that something so pleasing to the eyes could lead to her demise. Cancer is a killer. We all have breasts. Let's support my friend Laura and Ashley as they walk for cure of this horrible disease that is taking our mothers and sisters away from us at early ages. Look for the links to support them on this episode's show notes, episode 207. Thanks.
You know, I done started some mess. Yeah, I have. I took um 30 episodes of Zombie Strike, the first 30, and I made its own podcast. It's on zombiestrike.us. And uh, I thought, you know, in the end, I'll stick everything over there and maybe somebody will even look at it. I had no idea that the people who like Zombie Strike really like Zombie Strike. I started getting a couple of emails, people saying, hey, man, what happened to the episodes? They didn't even know that Urban Shooter podcast existed. I know, right? So I sent a little quick message on there and said, you know, if you're listening to the Zombie Strike podcast, let me know. I probably got a couple of emails every day since that. Just to say, bring it back. Not knowing that podcast from 30 all the way to 70 is on this show. And that's something. Made more work for myself. It would have been real easy, though, if I had kept some stuff. I think I lost maybe 20 episodes. Yeah. Good job, Blanchard. I got to go and re-record 30 episodes of Zombie Strike. Oh, well. Last week on Zombie Strike. Last week on Zombie Strike, we learned some really cool stuff. The whole story so far has been told um, lately by Eric Stahl. And you find out that Mikhail, you know, the big seven-foot dude that's in charge of the truth, and Cortez are like selling wolf tickets to each other. And uh, Father Rodriguez, little rat dudes in there, and they got like little mercenaries with them and wizards dressed like Aztecs and folks are talking about whose God is in charge. And oh man, they're about to open a can of whoop. And then you find out that Mateo has a real reason for being there and Mikhail is mad and Cortez is about to do the smackdown in the courtyard, and oh, it's just a hot mess. But somehow, they make a truce to fight the vampires, which is a threat to everybody. You know, three is a crowd. It's always like that. Can't even have a good family fight with somebody in there interrupting you. Where is the love? Where is the love, people? Where is the love? You'll find it in episode 70 of Zombie Strike. This is... Zombie Strike. Part 7. Chapter 70. 10 miles north of Redencion, Panama. 3 February, 2011. 1600 hours local. Countdown. 10 months. 28 days. Eric Stahl froze as he felt the vampire's eyes on him. He couldn't see the creature in the dense mountain forest. The creatures were already evolved enough to be scarily effective predators in this environment. His little hodgepodge of a team was already down, a sorcerer and a truth soldier learning that particular lesson. Stahl patiently looked around with the bare minimum of movement. At least one of the monsters, probably more like two. They'd shown a habit of hunting in pairs or teams of four time to put Tredegar's hypothesis to the test. Sandoval, I want you to run past me. As soon as you see movement, hit the dirt. Stahl whispered to the man a few yards behind him. 
The nice thing about having religious zealots on the team was that you didn't have to do a lot of convincing for them to do suicidal things. All in the service of their God. And people had wondered why Stahl had been an atheist. Sandoval sprinted from his position. The kid would have made a pretty decent track athlete. Two dark blurs launched out of the trees. Stahl pointed more than aimed his carbine at one of the blurs and squeezed the trigger. The relatively quiet of the force was shattered as nearly a dozen guns fired at the targets. The two blurs materialized on the ground. The creatures were seven feet tall and covered with a matty brown pelt. They were slim with a wiry build that could be seen as they glided inhumanly towards the team. Their faces had a passing resemblance to human, if you could get past the bloated features, red eyes, and large fangs protruding from an almost comic overbite. The two creatures were bleeding black fluid from dozens of holes on their pelts, and they looked surprised that humans had managed to hit them. Jane, now would be a good time, Stahl said as he quickly replaced the spent magazine in his M4. These things were getting tougher by the hour. The sorceress stepped to the side. With intricate hand movements and words in a long, dead language, a brilliant white bolt of lightning lanced out and struck the left monster. Its streak of pain was drowned out by the booming thunderclap. The other monster was already moving. Stahl had barely a moment before the long arm slammed him with the force of a small car. Stahl was thrown several yards before crashing into a tree. He felt his breath whoosh out of him as he collapsed to the ground. Steve was already crouched next to him with McClintock covering the pair. Evans, the leader of the Truth Soldiers, was issuing orders to the shooters. The light pops of M4s and F2000s were mixed with the louder booms of the Cowboys' big lever action. Stahl watched as the monster leaped at the slim. The tall Brit blocked a blow with his rifle, but the force was enough to knock Slim off his feet. The monster went after Montgomery next. Stahl knew the fight was over in that instant. As soon as the monster inched toward Montgomery, a brilliant streak of white erupted from next to her. Stahl hadn't believed that the dog was an actually a physical manifestation of the Native American totem of wolf. He believed, once he saw the wolf glow a brilliant white and tear apart a monster with the effort of a puppy with a newspaper. The spirit wolf and the monster began to blur as their fight moved faster than the human eye could track. Screams and howls filled the area and then silence. Billy stood atop the torn carcass of the monster, his muzzle and front claws covered in black ichor. Billy leaped off the monster's corpse. An instant before it was consumed in a brilliant flash of flame and heat, the only traces of the two monsters were the two blackened scorch marks on the ground. You should be fine once the happy juice hits, the Steve said, looking down at his PDA. You were lucky, Chief. No broken ribs or a concussion. Stahl nodded absently as he let the Steve and McClintock help him off the ground. Tredegar, about how much time do we have before more come to investigate this? Stahl asked the FBI agent. Maybe ten minutes, Tredegar answered. Ambushed them like last time? Evans asked. Stahl nodded. Three teams spread out along the 90-degree arc. 
Each had a soldier and a sorcerer, along with three from the zombie strike team. Stahl's team consisted of the sorceress, Jane, Sandoval, Montgomery, and Billy. They were at the center of the arc. It was their job to initiate and probably take the brunt of any counterattack. Stahl crouched behind a thick conifer tree. He kept his M4 pointed in the most likely direction the other vampires of this hunting pack would approach. Sandoval crouched next to him. The young soldier wasn't much older than Montgomery, maybe 19 or 20. He was solid and pretty handy with that F-2000. He kept the Belgian bullpup pointed roughly in the same area as Stahl's carbine. A tree over to Stahl's right, Montgomery laid prone with her suppressed scar on a bipod. Billy was actually lying down between her legs, ready to pounce on the first thing that came near her. Behind the three shooters, Jane was hidden. The three sorcerers were easily the most powerful offensive weapons on the team, but also the slowest to employ. The team had learned that lesson when a vampire ripped the sorcerer Wallace apart in their first encounter after leaving a small village. That battle left Stahl in charge of the team. His first order was for the sorcerers to stay back until the shooters had slowed the monsters down with weapons fire. Two shapes emerged from the trees. Stahl wished in vain that the sorcerers could have raised some of those nifty shields. No joy, as he'd learned. Those required an artifact, as the truth called them. An object that had been imbued with the deity's power at some point. The truth only brought two artifacts with them to Panama. One had been destroyed in the brief firefight between the truth and zombie strike. The other was in Giant's possession. And he was still back in Redención with Cortez in accordance with the truth. Or the truce. Stahl pushed those thoughts away as he focused on the two vampires. They paused just at the edge of the ambush, maybe 50 yards from Stahl's tree. Their heads jerked around, searching for something. The caution was something new. In the past battles, the vampires charged right to where their comrades fell. What new capability were the monsters evolving? Better to attack now before they sniffed out the ambush. Billy leaped from Montgomery's position and charged toward Jane. Montgomery rolled and opened fire as two more of the vampires appeared from behind. She placed a dozen 7.62mm bullets into the lead vampire. It ignored the holes the sharpshooter was drilling into him and sped down on her. Then, the lead vampire collided with Billy. That was that, as they say. Jane screamed in terror as the other monster attacked her. The scream was cut off abruptly. Stahl saw the sorceress's body slump to the ground. Stahl twisted and fired his M4 at the monster. It looked shocked as three streams of gunfire struck it. Surprise could work both ways. Then Jane's death knell hit. A bolt of black-purple light erupted from the ground and incinerated the vampire. When one of the Zypitotex sorcerers dies, the god can call them back to him violently. In some ways, it was the ultimate booby trap. Jane's soul streaked up and then swept through the other two vampires. They were immediately incinerated. Her final work done, Jane's soul shot up into the sky and vanished. Stahl rose from his crouch and walked over to where Jane died. Just like Wallace, there was no body. Just some ash. Evans cursed as he walked up next to Stahl. From what Stahl had gathered, the soldiers were supposed to guard the sorcerers. 
Now they had lost two of them in less than four hours. Tanish, will we have the same protection as we did when Wallace bought it? Star asked one of the remaining sorcerers. The sorcerer nodded in stunned silence. Okay, that gives us maybe a half hour to rest and reload. McClintock, you and Sandoval are on ammo detail. Try and spread out what we've got. The rest of you, check your gear and get some food and water. Evans, you're with me. The two men walked off to the side of the group. With these four, there's maybe another 30 or so vampires left, Stahl said quietly. At the cost of three dead, everyone else walking wounded and probably about half our ammo shot up, Evans said. At least Sports got all his grenades left. I've got a feeling that may be our ace in a hole. Not Tanish and Harold? Stahl asked, surprised. Oh, those two could rain down torment and death on a little death if they have enough time to call for the flayed one's blessings. All Sport has to do is squeeze to send down all sorts of nasty things. Stahl nodded in agreement. He reached under his armor and pulled out a little amulet that Father Rodriguez gave him. He held it out at arm's length, trying to discern what the magic item was telling him. I think the next pack is that way, Stahl said, pointing north. You'd think that amulet would be more definitive, Evans mused. I think it works better if the believer is using it, Stahl conceded. I don't know why the priest insisted I was the one who needed to carry it. You're not a Christian, Evans asked in surprise. Nope. I was an atheist until I started up with the Army's anti-zombie task force, Stahl answered. Kind of hard to keep being one when confronted with deific power being thrown about all the time. Extraordinary evidence and all that. God and me still aren't on speaking terms, though. And don't think about trying to convert me to your cult, either. I'd love to, but I know you too well. I'm not going to insult you by trying. I'm still hopeful that you'll see the truth and join us, though, Evans said. Stahl gave the soldier a sidelong glance. Evans was sincere. Sometimes there were honorable enemies. Well, we aren't going to be able to ambush them, Evans said, breaking the silence between the two men. They sniffed us out and counter-ambushed us. We made a mistake of trying to pull the same trick twice, Stahl said. We're going to have to assume each vampire knows how we killed all the others and have figured out to counter the tactics we've used so far. We've got to outpace their learning if we're going to kill them all and survive. Makes sense, Evans agreed. He paused for a moment, thinking... I've got an idea. A predatory grin spread across Stahl's face as the soldier laid out his plan. What do I use at the shotgun range? Federal premium ammunition, because every shot counts. Does your job take you to the hot zone? Want some great gear for the warrior, law enforcement, SWAT, special ops, hunting, and the serious recreational shooter? Check out BlackHawk.com 
where honor is a way of life. Blackhawk.com. And tell them Ken Blanchard sent you. Blackhawk.com. All right, that's a wrap for this week. And I want to thank you for joining me. You know you're my favorite listener. Thanks, Barbara, for giving us some history about the Browning. Thanks for inspiring me to continue on with Zombie Strike. Derek will be really happy about that. New hearing protection from EHP Indiana. Make sure you check out the links for that and the whole page review on KenBlanchard.com. Get your free copy of Black Man with a Gun. Also, details are on KenBlanchard.com. Big shout out to John Benner, inventor of the self-defense knife by K-Bar and head honcho at TDIOhio.com. Don't forget there's a new range in West Virginia called PeacemakerNational.com. Make sure you find that link for the Avon Cancer Walk, my friend Laura Burgess, so we can take care of that, help her out, raise some money, stop that dreadful disease. Don't you forget to go hug your mom, call your mother, or tell your wife that you love her for being the mother of your children. Sharon Dubiago said, My mother is a poem. I'll never be able to write, though everything I write is a poem to my mother. Until next week, this is your friend and your brother from a different mother telling you that your mother loves you like a rock. Shalom, baby. This concludes another weekly edition of the Urban Shooter Podcast. Thanks for listening. Feel free to leave Ken a review on iTunes about the show. Join the forum on blackmanwithagun.info or comment on the show notes on kenblanchard.com. Am I the meanest? Sure enough. Am I the prettiest? Sure enough. Am I the baddest mofo low down around this town? Sure enough. Well, who am I? Sure enough. Who am I? Sure enough. I can't hear you. Sure enough. Shogun of Harlem.